Chapter 20 of Katrina by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Wayne Cook. Chapter 20 I Continue to Move in Good Society. For about exactly two months, I remained a guest in Preston Grange's family, where I bettered my acquaintance with the bench, the bar, and the flower of Edinburgh Company. You are not to suppose my education was neglected. On the contrary, I was kept extremely busy. I studied the French so as to be more prepared to go to Leyden. I set myself to the fencing, and wrought hard, and sometimes three hours in the day, with notable advancement. At the suggestion of my cousin Pilrig, who was an apt musician, I was put to a singing class, and by the orders of my Miss Grant, to one for the dancing, at which I must say I proved far from ornamental. However, all were good enough to say it gave me an address a little more genteel, and there is no question but I learned to manage my coat skirts and sword with more dexterity, and to stand in a room as though the same belonged to me. My clothes themselves were all earnestly reordered, and the most trifling circumstance, such as where I should tie my hair or the color of my ribbon, debated among the three misses like a thing of weight. One way with another, no doubt, I was a good deal improved to look at, and acquired a bit of modest air that would have surprised the good folks at Essendine. The two younger misses were very willing to discuss a point of my habiliment, because that was in the line of their chief thoughts. I cannot say that they appeared any other way conscious of my presence, and though always more than civil, with a kind of heartless cordiality, could not hide how much I wearied them. As for the aunt, she was a wonderful still woman, and I think she gave me much the same attention as she gave the rest of the family, which was little enough. The eldest daughter and the advocate himself were thus my principal friends, and our familiarity was much increased by a pleasure that we took in common. Before the court met, we spent a day or two at the house of Grange, living very nobly with an open table, and there it was that we three began to ride out together in the fields, a practice afterwards maintained in Edinburgh, so far as the advocate's continual affairs permitted. When we were put in a good frame by the briskness of the exercise, the difficulties of the way, or the accidents of bad weather, my shyness wore entirely off. We forgot that we were strangers, and speech not being required, it flowed the more naturally on. Then it was that they had my story from me, bit by bit, from the time that I left Essendine, with my voyage and battle in the Covenant, wanderings in the heather, etc., and from the interest they found in my adventures sprung the circumstance of a jaunt we made a little later on, on a day when the courts were not sitting, and of which I will tell a trifle more at length. We took horse early, and passed first by the house of Shaw's, where it stood smokeless in a great field of white frost, for it was yet early in the day. Here Preston Grange alighted down, gave me his horse, and proceeded alone to visit my uncle. 
My heart, I remember, swelled up bitter within me at the sight of that bare house and the thought of the old miser sitting chittering within the cold kitchen. There is my home, said I, and my family. Poor David Balfour, said Miss Grant. What passed during the visit I have never heard, but it would doubtless not be very agreeable to Ebenezer, for when the advocate came forth again his face was dark. I think you will soon be the laird indeed, Mr. Davy, he said, turning half about with one foot in the stirrup. I will never pretend sorrow, said I, and to say the truth during his absence, Miss Grant and I had been embellishing the place in fancy, with plantations, portieres, and a terrace, much as I have since carried out, in fact. Thence we pushed to the Queen's Ferry, where Ancular gave us a good welcome, being indeed out of the body to receive so great a visitor. Here the advocate was so unaffectedly good as to go quite fully over my affairs, sitting perhaps two hours with the writer in his study, and expressing, I was told, a great esteem for myself and concern for my fortunes. To while this time, Miss Grant and I and young Rancular took boat and passed the hope to Limekilns. Rancular made himself very ridiculous, and I thought offensive, with his admiration for the young lady, and to my wonder, only it is so common a weakness of her sex, she seemed, if anything, to be a little gratified. One use it had, for when we were come to the other side, she laid her commands on him to mind the boat, while she and I passed a little further to the alehouse. This was her own thought, for she had been taken with my account of Alice and Hasty, and desired to see the lass herself. We found her once more alone. Indeed, I believe her father wrought all day in the fields, and she curtsied dutifully to the gentry folk and the beautiful young lady in the riding coat. Is this all the welcome I am to get? said I, holding out my hand. And have you no more memory of old friends? Keep me. What is this of it? she cried, and then, God's truth, it's the truant laddie. The very same says I. Many's the time I've thought upon you and your friend, and blithe am I to see your bras, she cried, though I can't ye were come to your ain folk by the grand present she sent me, and that I thank ye for with all my heart. There, said Miss Grant to me, run out by with ye, like a good baron. I didn't come here to stand and hold a candle. It's her and me that are to crack. I suppose she stayed ten minutes in the house, but when she came forth I observed two things, that her eyes were reddened, and a silver brooch was gone out of her bosom. This very much affected me. I never saw you so well adorned, said I. Oh, Davy, man, dinner be a pompous gawk, said she, and was more than usually sharp to me the remainder of the day. About candlelight we came home from this excursion. For a good while I heard nothing further of Katrina. 
my Miss Grant remaining quite impenetrable, and stopping my mouth with pleasantries. At last, one day that she returned from walking and found me alone in the parlor over my French, I thought there was something unusual in her looks, the color heightened, the eyes sparkling high, and a bit of a smile continually bitten in as she regarded me. She seemed indeed like the very spirit of mischief, and walking briskly in the room had soon involved me in a kind of quarrel over nothing, and, at the least, with nothing intended on my side. I was like a Christian in the slough. The more I tried to clamber out upon the side, the deeper I became involved, until at last I heard her declare with a great deal of passion that she would take that answer from the hands of none, and I must down upon my knees for pardon. The causelessness of all this fuff stirred my own bile. I have said nothing you can properly object to, said I, and as for me knees, it is an attitude I keep for God. And as a goddess I am to be served, she cried, shaking her brown locks at me and with a bright color. Every man that comes within a waft of my petticoats shall use me so. I will go so far as to ask your pardon for the fashion's sake, although I vow I know not why, I replied. But for this play-acting postures you can go to others. Oh, Davy, she said, not if I was to beg you. It bethought me I was fighting with a woman, which is the same as to say a child, and that upon a point entirely formal. I think it is a barony thing, said I, not worthy in you to ask or me to render. Yet I will not refuse you neither, said I and the stain, if there be any, rests with yourself. And at that I kneeled fairly down. There, she cried, there is the proper station. There is where I have been maneuvering to bring you. And then suddenly, Cap, said she, flung me a folded billet and ran from the apartment laughing. The billet had neither place nor date. Dear Mr. David, it began, I get your news continually by my cousin, Miss Grant, and it is a pleasant hearing. I am very well in a good place among good folk, but necessitated to be quite private, though I am hoping that at long last we may meet again. All your friendships have been told me by my loving cousin, who loves us both. She bids me to send you this writing and oversees the same. I will be asking you to do all her commands, and rest your affectionate friend, Katrina MacGregor Drummond. P.S. Will you not see my cousin Allardyce? I think it not the least brave of my campaigns, as the soldiers say, that I should have done as I was here bidden, and gone forthright to the house by Dean. But the old lady was now entirely changed, and supple as a glove. By what means Miss Grant had brought this round I could never guess. I am sure, at least, she dared not to appear openly in the affair, for her papa was compromised in it pretty deep. It was he, indeed, who had persuaded Katrina to leave, or rather not to return, to her cousins, placing her instead with a family of Gregory's. 
decent people, quite at the advocate's disposition, and in whom she might have the more confidence because they were of his own clan and family. These kept her private till all was ripe, heated, and helped her to attempt her father's rescue, and after she was discharged from prison, received her again into the same secrecy. Thus Preston Grage obtained, and used his instrument, nor did there leak out the smallest word of his acquaintance with the daughter of James Moore. There was some whispering, of course, upon the escape of that discredited person, but the government replied by a shore of rigor. One of the cell-porters was flogged. The lieutenant of the guard, my poor friend Duncansby, was broken of his rank. And as for Katrina, all men were well enough pleased that her fault should be passed by in silence. I could never induce Miss Grant to carry back an answer. No, she would say, when I persisted, I am going to keep the big feet out of the platter. This was the more hard to bear, as I was aware she saw my little friend many times in the week, and carried her my news whenever, as she said, I had behaved myself. At last she treated me to what she called an indulgence, and I thought rather more of a banter. She was certainly a strong, almost a violent friend to all she liked, chief among whom was a certain frail old gentlewoman, very blind and very witty, who dwelt on the top of a tall land on a straight close, with a nest of linnets in a cage, and thronged all day with visitors. Miss Grant was very fond to carry me there, and put me to entertain her friend with a narrative of my misfortunes and Miss Tibby Ramsay, that was her name, was particular kind, and told me a great deal that was worth knowledge of old folks and past affairs in Scotland. I should say that from her chamber window, and not three feet away, such is the straightness of that close, it was possible to look into a barred loophole lighting the stairway of the opposite house. Here, upon some pretext, Miss Grant left me one day alone with Miss Ramsay. I mind I thought that lady inattentive and like one preoccupied. I was besides very uncomfortable, for the window, contrary to custom, was left open, and the day was cold. All at once the voice of Miss Grant sounded in my ears from a distance. "'Here, Shaws,' she cried. "'Kick out of the window and see what I've brought in you.' I think it was the prettiest sight that ever I beheld. The well of the clothes was in all clear shadow, where a man could see distinctly, the walls very black and dingy. And there, from the barred loophole, I saw two faces smiling across at me, Miss Grant's and Katrina's. There, says Miss Grant, I wanted her to see you in your bras like the lass of lime kilns. I wanted her to see what I could make of you, when I buckled to the job in earnest. It came in my mind that she had been more than common particular that day upon my dress, and I think that some of the same care had been bestowed upon Katrina, for so merry and sensible a lady, Miss Grant, was certainly wonderful taken up with duds. Katrina! was all I could get out. As for her, she said nothing in the world but only waved her hand and smiled to me, and was suddenly carried away again from before the loophole. 
that vision was no sooner lost than i ran to the house door where i found i was locked in thence back to miss ramsay crying for the key but might as well have cried upon the castle rock she had passed her word she said and i must be a good lad it was impossible to burst the door even if it had been mannerly it was impossible i should leave from the window being seven stories above the ground all i could do was to crane over the clothes and watch for the reappearance from the stair it was little to see being no more than the tops of their two heads each in a ridiculous bobbin of skirts like a pair of pincushions nor did katrina so much as look up for a farewell being prevented as i heard afterwards by miss grant who told her folk were never seen to less advantage than from above downward on the way home as soon as i was set free i upbraided miss grant with her cruelty i'm sorry you was disappointed says she demurely for my part i was very pleased you look better than i dreaded you looked if it will not make you vain a mighty pretty young man when you appeared in the window you are to remember that she could not see your feet says she with a manner of one reassuring me oh cried i leave my feet be they are no bigger than my neighbors they are even smaller than some said she but i speak in parables like a hebrew prophet i marvel little they were sometimes stoned says i but you miserable girl how could you do it why should you care to tantalize me with a moment love is like folk says she it needs some kind of vivers oh barbara let me see her properly i pleaded you can you can see her when you please let me have half an hour who is it that is managing this love affair you or me she asked and as i continued to press her with my instances fell back upon a deadly expedient that of imitating the tones of my voice when i called on katrina by name by which indeed she held me in subjection for some days to follow there was never the least word heard of the memorial or none by me Preston Grange and his grace, the Lord President, may have heard of it, for what I know, on the deafest sides of their heads. They kept it to themselves, at least. The public was none the wiser, and in course of time, on November 8th, in the midst of a prodigious storm of wind and rain, poor James of the Glens was duly hanged at Lettermore by Balashich. So, there was the final upshot of my politics innocent men have perished before james and are like to keep on perishing in spite of all our wisdom till the end of time and till the end of time young folk who are not yet used with the duplicity of life and men will struggle as i did and make heroical resolves and take long risks and the course of events will push them upon the one side and go on like a marching army. James was hanged, and here was I, dwelling in the house at Preston Grange, and grateful to him for his fatherly attention. He was hanged, and behold, when I met Mr. Simon in the causeway, 
I was fain to pull off my beaver to him like a good little boy before his domini. He had been hanged by fraud and violence, and the world wagged along, and there was not a pennyweight of difference, and the villains of that horrid plot were decent, kind, respectable fathers of families who went to Kirk and took the sacrament. But I had my view of that detestable business they call politics. I had seen it from behind, when it is all bones and blackness, and I was cured for life of any temptations take part in it again. A plain, quiet, private path was which I was ambitious to walk in, when I might keep my head out of the way of dangers and my conscience out of the road of temptation. For upon retrospect it appeared I had not done so grandly after all. But with the greatest possible amount of big speech and preparation had accomplished nothing. The 25th of the same month the ship was advertised to sail from Leith, and I was suddenly recommended to make up my mails for Leyden. To Preston Grange I could, of course, say nothing, for I had already been a long while sorning on his house and table. But with his daughter I was more open, bewailing my fate that I should be sent out of the country, and assuring her unless she should bring me farewell with Katrina, I would refuse at the last hour. "'Have I not given you my advice?' she asked. "'I know you have,' said I, "'and I know how much I am beholden to you already, "'and that I am bidden to obey your orders. "'But you must confess you are something to marry a lass at times to lip and do entirely.' "'I will tell you then,' said she. "'Be you on board by nine o'clock forenoon. "'The ship does not sail before one. "'Keep your boat alongside.' and if you are not pleased with my farewells when I shall send them, you can come ashore again and see Katrine for yourself. Since I could make no more of her, I was fain to be content with this. The day came round at last when she and I were to separate. We had been extremely intimate and familiar. I was much in her debt, and what way were we to part was a thing that put me from my sleep like the veils I was to give to the domestic servants. I knew she considered me too backward, and rather desired to rise in her opinion on that head, besides which, after so much affection shown and, I believe, felt upon both sides, it would have looked cold-like to be in any way stiff. Accordingly I got my courage up and my words ready, and the last chance we were like to be alone asked pretty boldly to be allowed to salute her in farewell. "'You forget yourself strangely, Mr. Balfour,' said she. "'I cannot call to mind that I have given you any right to presume on our acquaintancy.' I, I stood before her like a stopped clock, and knew not what to think, far less to say, when of a sudden she cast her arms about my neck and kissed me with the best will in the world.' "'You inimitable bairn!' she cried. "'Did you think that I would let us part like strangers? "'Because I can never keep my gravity at you five minutes on end, "'you must not dream I do not love you very well. "'I am all love and laughter every time I cast my eyes on you, 
and now I will give you an advice to conclude your education, which you will have need of before it's very long. Never ask women folk. They're bound to answer no. God never made the last that could resist the temptation. It's supposed by divines to be the curse of Eve, because she did not say it when the devil offered her the apple. Her daughters say nothing else. Since I am so soon to lose my bonny professor, I began. This is gallant indeed, said she, curtsying. I would put the one question, I went on. May I ask a lass to marry me? You think you could not marry her without? She asked. Or else get her to offer? You see, you cannot be serious, said I. I shall be very serious in one thing, David, said she. I shall always be your friend. As I got to my horse the next morning, the four ladies were all at that same window whence we had once looked down on Katrina, and all cried farewell and waved their pocket napkins as I rode away. One out of the four I knew was truly sorry, and at the thought of that, and how I had come to the door three months ago for the first time, sorrow and gratitude made a confusion in my mind. End of chapter 20